A few years ago, uh, Kelly and I were with her family at First Monday. And if you've ever been with a large family at First Monday, you know it's quite an experience. But after you've been there for a few hours, uh, even uh, because of the fact that we live so close to Canton, we're like, it's time to go. And uh, we were in a pavilion and we had been there for several hours and uh, we're kind of all sweating and a little bit tired. And you're like, okay, it's it's time. Let's kind of start packing up. And all of a sudden we look back and Kelly's nephew is nowhere to be found. At the time, he's about five years old, and I remember um, us, uh, just Kelly and I, we had Brady at the time, who he was about three, and uh, then we also had Caleb on the ground, and he was just, you know, basically a, a toddler. And so uh, we all began to kind of frantically search, and you could just even recall the whole thing in your mind. And I remember my heart beating out of my chest. And I remember going from booth to booth and nowhere to be found, like booth to booth, nowhere to be found. And then you look over and mom has, I mean, she has a whole nother issue, right? I mean, my nephew is lost and my sister-in-law is, I mean, she has just sheer panic panic on her face. And of course, like the guys, you know, I mean, we all try to be calm and collective and cool. And so I look over uh, at Kelly's brother and he's, you know, trying to maintain himself. But even at this point, three, four, five minutes has gone by and you can just begin to feel the tension. Well, I'll tell you, uh, we we found him, obviously, okay? Uh, You didn't hear about anything on the news of a kid missing a few years ago. And so, uh, but I remember the feeling of that. And I'll tell you that there's nothing like the feeling, though, when it's you. So a few weeks ago, we're at our house, and um, we live out in the country. We have 38 acres, and we have a, a kind of a lake on, on that land. And so um, anytime that one of our kids is not right there in full view, of course, you kind of begin to panic a little bit. Well, we have uh, an older boy, and his name's Brady, and uh, that particular evening, we'd called all the kids in. It was dusk. I mean, it was literally about 8.30 at night, and we let them play outside, and they love it, and we go. We call the kids in, and uh, here comes little Blakely, and here comes little Caleb, and um, Brady's didn't come in, and so I'm actually in the house, so Kelly comes in. She goes, hey, Brady, calls out for him, and then she says, hey, Brandon, is Brady in here? And I said, I haven't seen him, but let me check his room. So I go into his room and no Brady. And we check everywhere in the house, no Brady. And so I go out to the back porch because unbeknownst to me, he may be weed eating or something, okay? Um, Only six-year-old I know that likes to weed eat and mow, okay? Uh, And so he's not out there. He's not weed eating. He's not mowing. He's not playing basketball. And so I holler as loud as I can, Brady! Nothing. Kelly, of course, uh, because tensions oftentimes flare a little bit faster in you ladies, um, is beginning to really pace back and forth. And she's like, Brady, where is Brady? Where's Brady? And I'm like, okay, only a minute and 30 seconds have gone by. Okay, it's going to be fine. The problem is then four minutes go by. And we live close enough to the county road that there's always just this part in your mind that, I mean, you know, you're like, ah, I mean, you would never think that. I mean, we're out here in Will's Point, but sure enough, and we've, you know, check the swing set. I mean, we've checked everywhere and we just keep calling and calling and calling and he's nowhere to be found. And so at that point, I think, well, maybe he ran down to Nan and Papa's house. They're not too far away. And I mean, what kid wouldn't want to go to Nan and Papa's to stay the night? And so you start thinking, okay, maybe. So you go to pick up your phone. And after about five or six minutes goes by, Kelly finally yells out, I found him. And I'm like, 
and he was in the truck. And he had shut the door, and he couldn't hear us. And, of course, Dad, you know, you go around, and you see him, and your first response is, and I know, you're like, oh, you're going to wear him out. No, no, no. <laughs> That's not your first response. Your first response is, come here, and you just want to hug him. And then after that, you drop down to your knee, don't you? Don't you ever do that again. <laughs> but I started thinking this week as I was preparing for a rather challenging message, a message today that I believe says we are better together. And I started wondering, God, what does it look like when you're pursuing people who are lost? I bet the feelings that I had for my son, the feelings that I had for my nephew don't even compare to what it's like for God to send his one and only son for broken people in order to make them right with God again. And I'm asking you today that you would just join me on this journey of looking at the scriptures to see what it looks like for you and I to get together on this issue of reaching people for the cause of Jesus. Now, what's interesting about today is that it's not the start of a new series. It's actually a one-offer is what we call it. A one-offer means, Brandon, you get full range of any topic there is in all the scriptures to challenge our church with. And I'll ask for all of our leadership team to come together. And I started three weeks ago and I said, okay, guys, I'm going to make a piece of paper right here and I want you to add to it as you go through the next weeks. And of course, with all the theologians that we have in our church, here's what they came up with. Nothing. <laughs> go get them, boy. And so I am praying and I'm like, God, I don't know what it is. I know some things that are challenges for us. I know things that we have to accomplish, all of these things. And I've got so many things coming through our mind. But this one thing of, Brandon, what if you reminded the church to pursue people who are broken and lost like I would pursue them? And that's my challenge to you today. And I think in this story, there's many of us that we're going to find ourselves somewhere in the story, and it's going to be rather challenging. I mean, for most of you that you know my heart, you know that I'm not afraid to challenge you. And so if you're a first-time guest, sometimes I say things, and sometimes they have some shock effect, and you may walk away and you go, wow, did he just say that? Yes, but people who know me and know our heart, they know that the reason I'm challenging is because we're not okay with just being okay. And I think that's the question I'd have to ask you. Are you okay with just being okay? Are you okay with just being a marginal body? Are you okay with just occasionally seeing some people's lives change? Or do you say, no, I want to be a part of a life-changing church where people see Jesus, are changed by his love and grace, and decide, I am not going to be that way anymore. I want to walk with Christ. And my challenge to you is that you would do just that. And so if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to start in verse 17, and we're going to read about 10 or 11 verses. But in this story, it speaks to every single one of us in here. You are not exempt from this message. I promise you, every single one of us in here is in this story and in this narrative. And my prayer is that you would discover where you are. But let me just kind of help you. You might confine your place rather easy with this one question. If I were to ask you how many people 
have you made it your mission to see them come to Jesus? On a scale of one to 10, 10 being you are excellent at it. Every single day goes by, you share your faith. Every day you're praying for people, your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues, everybody. Like you're intentional. Like, man, I want everybody to know Jesus. I want everybody to be a part of his church. I want everybody to come to our church because, man, we saw 19 people go public with their faith last week in Jesus. And, or you may be like, eh, I mean, that's really why we hire the pastor. I mean, that's probably more his job. I'm not real comfortable about sharing my faith. I mean, it's not my spiritual gift, which by the way, sharing your faith is not a spiritual gift. It's a command, okay? Just FYI. But if that's your take, you're probably closer to a one, okay? And so on the scale of one to 10, where do you find yourself? You're like, well, I'm kind of a four. I mean, I'm, I may be a six. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the theory of everybody to come here to know Jesus. I love the idea of my neighbors knowing him. I just probably am not the most suited to tell them. So the question is, well, who is? Well, in this story in Luke chapter 5, you see some men who take it upon themselves to, to make sure their friend not only sees Jesus, but meets Jesus. But I want you to understand that before they take up this, they have a few dilemmas in front of them. And so let's dive in in verse 17. One day, he, meaning Jesus, was teaching. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. Now, there's a couple of things right here in this very first couple of verses that you and I need to pay attention to. Well, number one is that everybody had taken note of Jesus. They believed that he had some sort of profitable teaching, although many of them did not believe that he was Messiah. And so what you have is, is a bunch of people coming from miles and miles and miles and miles around to see this work that's happening in this man named Jesus. Now, I want you to know that not everybody who comes from the areas and the regions nearby, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, all those people, they're not necessarily coming for the right reasons, but they are indeed coming to see. And so that begs the question, well, what are they doing? I think what begs the question is, what are you and I doing? Because oftentimes what we do is we show up at a place and we go, wow, I've heard that God is working there. Let me go and see. And then the question is, is as you go and as you see, as you observe, the question is, what are you looking for? Well, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, men who had their lives together by all outward perspectives, believed that they had knowledge that no one else had. They were educated, well-trained men, not uneducated, untrained men. They were looked upon as the people who would lead Israel. There were probably 6,000 Pharisees in this day and time. And what we see is, is that they had heard enough about Jesus that they believed they should go and see, check it out for themselves. And so here it is, they're all around and they're wanting to see what Jesus has to offer. And I bet you that the Pharisees are not marveling at all that God is doing. I bet they're saying, hmm. I wonder why he said that. I probably wouldn't say it that way. Why does he keep using these stories? Why doesn't he just get to the point? I wonder why we, why we didn't start out this session with some worship today. I mean, can you imagine all the questions that must have been going through their mind? See, I want you to understand that the reason they came to sit at Jesus' feet was not to be taught, not to learn more about the Messiah, but in a sense to 
see what they could disprove about this man. Do you see the motives? And I think the question is, is one, just as kind of an extra for you, is what's your motivation? I'm going to go check them out today at Stone Point. I wonder what they have to offer me. I wonder if they have a senior adult ministry for me. Do they have Sunday school? Can I get involved in that next week? Uh, I thought they had a full band. I'm, I was confused. I saw online that they had a full band. But I really like the fact that they didn't. You're asking the wrong questions. Do you see? What is the right questions? Jesus is there. I've heard him doing amazing things in people's lives. Somebody told me last week that 19 people went forward in their faith in Jesus. I want that. I wonder if they'll teach me about Jesus. Will they show me him? Will someone walk alongside of me? Will they help me know more about Jesus? See the motivations? Well, there were four men and some men. Verse 18, you go, well, how do you know there were four of them? It clearly says there were some men. There were four of them because in Mark chapter 2, he gives you a perspective as well. And Mark says there were four men. And so there were four men carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him and set him down in front of him. In front of who? Jesus. Why? Because in verse 17, it says that the power of the Lord was among him and he had the ability to do healing. And so they clearly want this man, their friend, to experience Jesus and his healing. And so they believe that it's worth getting him at all cost to Jesus. And that's what I would want you to hear more than anything is that I want you and I to be a part of a life-giving body that would say that we are willing to accomplish more together than we would on our own. Why? It took four men. It wasn't one man who said, hey man, I'm gonna tie a rope to the front of this, this uh, little uh, cot, the stretcher that we have here. I'm gonna drag you. It was four of them. It was one at every corner. That he protected their front guard and their rear guard. That they said, we care so deeply about you that we don't simply want you to live here on your own. We're going to walk this thing out together with you. And we're not going to get you close to Jesus. We're going to get you to Jesus. And so they decide we're going to do more together. And so it's almost as if they said, listen, you sit there. Well, uh, we didn't expect you to go anywhere. Um, so yeah, you know what I mean. And then, okay, you got that corner. Okay, you got that corner. Okay, I got this corner. Okay, and here they go. And they go on a pursuit to Jesus. And here it is, they're going because they know that he's in the area. And then they get there and they have a dilemma in verse 19. They have worked so hard to get him there. They're exhausted. They are tired. You are carrying a paralyzed man who does not help you at all. It's not like, hey man, can you scoot to the forward man? Move your weight a little bit. Hey, hey, come back. No, I mean, he is a, no assistance to you at all on this quest. And they take him. And upon getting there, they find that there is no way to bring him because of the crowd. And they went up onto the roof and they let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And this brings up an interesting point. You mean they carry him this distance to get him to Jesus. And then upon getting him to Jesus, they see Jesus off into the room. They're like, well, I don't know. Is that Jesus? No, I don't know. And it seems that every square inch of this house is taken up by who? Pharisees. Simply people who want to sit 
and, and what? Gain knowledge and even question the reasonings for them gaining knowledge. And so here it is, these men are sitting in front of Jesus. Every single square inch is taken with the crowd. And the man who needs Jesus the most can't even get to him with ease. Which then begs the question, what church do you want to be? Do you want to be a church that really does a great deal of gathering, accumulates knowledge, sits and lets a preacher take a text and expositionally open it up? You're like, I have no idea what that means. Verse by verse, give it to you, feed you, feed you, feed you. Hey, can, is there any way I can get into another group? And you look at yourself and you've got your schedule full and what you see is you're sitting, sitting, gathering, gathering, sitting, gathering, never doing. See, the emphasis, and I say this with love, the emphasis on this text, and a large part of it, is there's no point in sitting if you're not bringing. It is very clear who the heroes of this story are. The heroes of the story are the four men who are active in their faith. Not the Pharisees who are taking up all the room simply to listen and attain more knowledge. Do you understand? And so here it is. They take him up to the roof. Now, in that culture, it's debatable as to what the roof was like. I mean, you would see without question in many places in that area uh, homes that had clay um, tiles, and they may have had clay tiles. That most likely, there was a ladder up all the houses in uh, the area, and so they would go up the ladder on the side of the house, and then here it was. They go, hey, we don't have any idea how we're to get him into it, so they go, hey, why don't we go up to the roof? Okay, awesome. Now, you got to remember, this is four dudes, right? And so we already know, and we'll, we'll say this clearly, ladies, we know that if there was a lady among them, they probably would not have taken this route, Okay. But, I mean, they look at each other like, hey, man, what are you going to do? I don't know, man. Let's go, up, let's go upstairs, man. Okay, awesome. So here they go. They go, oh, man, I don't know how we're going to get him in. One of them goes, hey, why don't you dig? Dig? Yeah, man, let's dig. And so here it is. Two of them go, hey, well, let's dig. And here it is. And I don't know if you're like me, but I start digging. And I'm like, hey, man, why am I digging alone? So I'll look at my brother and go, hey, man, why are you watching me? Come on. And so here it is. They're peeling back. And whether it's clay tiles or most likely... It could have been mud and straw and horse manure all compacted together. We know that they had a diligent work in front of them of peeling back the layers so the opening would be present for them to get this man to Jesus. Now, here's the point of this narrative is that you and I not only are going to be better together, but we need to get a mindset that we'll do anything and everything to get people to Jesus. Anything and everything to get people to Jesus. Because I want you, again, to put yourself in the story. If you're one of the four men and you're working tirelessly, you're sweating, you've already exhausted yourself getting this man who has done nothing to help the cause. You've got him here to this place and then you go, oh, I was hoping that we could just walk him right up to Jesus. And now you have to work harder and harder and harder. And not only that, you're having to work through manure, to get him to Jesus, which by the way, anytime that you're going to help someone see Jesus, you're going to have to get off into a mess with them. You need to hear that. There is never a classic example of, hey, ABCs, admit that Jesus is Lord, believe and confess. That happens with a five-year-old. 
which is why I discourage five-year-olds from just saying some sinner's prayer. What I want them to know is I am a mess. Jesus is perfect in every way. And without his substitutionary debt on the cross, I am hopeless. Why? Because he stands in the gap for me. I need people to see Jesus and not me, in which oftentimes I meet with uh, families and parents. I had uh, two parents come up to me afterwards. We've only been attending Stone Point for a church for about a month. Man, we love it, but here's the deal. Our family's a mess. It's a wreck. And I just look at them and I go, well, here's the deal. This is what God's word says. And I know that in many cases they go, well, hey, can you just give us like three little, just dot us three things down like, and just send us on our way? And I'm like, no, no, I don't have any like three like special tricks. I'm not Dr. Phil. And you don't need Dr. Phil. What do you need? You need Jesus. And I know that we oftentimes look and we go, well, you, you mean that someone just needs Jesus? Yes, they just need Jesus. Like, and, and I, if there's one thing that you need to hear today, and you're like, well, you keep saying you just need to hear one thing today. Well, here's the one thing you need to hear today. You need Jesus. Jesus is all that we need. But the thing is, is that we need to know that we got to do anything it takes to get people to Jesus. And not everybody's going to be excited about that, are they? Can you imagine these four men are digging, digging, digging? And then there's people inside that they came from miles around for Jesus' teaching, teaching, teaching. And when they start hearing a clamoring on the rooftop, what do you think they said? Who, who let them in? I, this man is paralyzed because of all the wrong that he has done, because that was a natural assumption in their Jewish culture. The reason that a man is born blind is because of their sin. And Jesus was the one that told the disciples in John chapter 9 when they said, hey, Jesus, why is this man born blind? And he said, what do you mean? He goes, was it because of his sin or their parents' sin that this man is the way he is? And Jesus said, it is neither. Is because what? The power of God wants to be manifest in his life. And so here it is, this paralytic. All the Pharisees of the time, they're going, well, he must be this way because he's a wretched sinner. He's far from God. His family was a mess. And now you're telling me they're, they're going to dig into the roof while we're listening to Jesus, the prophet, teach? Oh. You understand the, uh, which, which way do you feel? And see, oftentimes, the more we gather the more we're disturbed when people challenge us, when they challenge our thinking or when they don't think, do things the way that we want. And I would just say this, if we're going to do anything that it takes for people to see Jesus, I'll go ahead and tell you, it means that we're going to have to break some rules around here. Huh? What do you mean? It means that we need to do anything short of sin to help people see Jesus. The most offended people, the, most, the people that I get emails from the most are the ones that have been in church all their lives. Why? Well, because you said this. You said crap in the pulpit, and you shouldn't have said crap. That's like God's holy place. <laughs> <clears throat> and I do everything I can to guard what I say. And so I know that I'm in flesh, and sometimes I say things, and I go, God, I, maybe I shouldn't have said that. And I grapple with that. But at the same time, in the culture here at Stone Point, we need to understand that why this church is here. Why is it here? To reach the unchurched and the de-churched. We have never made it our mission about reaching the churched. 
And so if someone comes from another church and they go, hey, we love what God's doing here, then we have to say, well, what God's doing here is because Jesus is made present in this place and we need to keep pointing people toward Jesus. And I'll tell you, the more and more people that come from other churches, the more and more that you can get distracted with your church mission. Why? Because the longer we sit and what want teaching, the more we lack the desire to go out and spread the word of God. And I'll tell you, there's one passion that God has given me, and that is to make sure people see Jesus. And you may not agree with everything we do. You may not like it. We're going to break some rules, um, but we believe it's worth it. Why? Because people are worth it. And I think that's the one thing I want you to hear is this, is that we're going to break some rules here. We're going to come out with some term and titles that you're like, uh, I don't know that I would do that. And that's okay. But you need to know, why are we doing it? Because we'll do anything short of sin to reach people for the cause of the gospel. Why? Because they need Jesus, not some more teaching. Understand? Now, seeing their faith, verse 20, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, what's interesting is, is that he didn't look to this man and go, hey, brother, you had incredible faith. It was clear that the hero in the story are the four men who have labored and toiled to get their friends to Jesus, anything at all cost. They made some people mad. They disturbed them in the middle of their teaching. But the bottom line is they said, it's all worth it. Why? Because Jesus declares your sins are forgiven. Now, let me tell you something. The people that were sitting in the seats listening to Jesus teach who were already disturbed, guess what? They're more disturbed. Why? Well, wait a second. You just said, have their sins forgiven. You don't have the authority to do that. And they begin saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Do you see the naysayers? It's all about their attitude, isn't it? Do you see the clear distinction? There are many of us in this room that if we're not careful, we've become good, casual churchgoers, but we bring no one to Jesus. And the least likely people to bring people to Jesus are the ones that are good, consistent churchgoers who want knowledge. The problem is the church doesn't grow with those type people. It actually grows stagnant with people who just want to listen and acquire more knowledge. And I'll tell you, the reason that Stone Point has grown has nothing to do with great teaching, but it has to do with life transformation and one person's life being changed and saying, I met Jesus and you need to meet him too. And what's interesting is, it's like last week, 19 people came to faith in Jesus and you got to celebrate with them. But the question is, is, why did they meet Jesus? And why did we get to go on that journey? Was it because we brought them? Jesus says, I'm aware of their reasonings. And he answered them, hey, why are you reasoning this in your heart? Isn't that incredible how Jesus does that? Hey, I, I get the questions you're asking over there in your mind. Um, go ahead and vocalize them. I, I know them, which just shows more of his deity and who he is. And then he says, which is easier to say, your, your sins have been forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But so that you would know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. What? Now I asked my men on Friday morning that I meet with every single Friday morning at 6 a.m., we are reading through the book of Hebrews, and the reason why is because this summer we're going to dive into it as a church, and we're going to take it verse by verse for 13 weeks through the entire book of Hebrews with you guys. And uh, so I'm prepping them, helping them kind of learn it, and uh, we're going through it, and I asked them a question, speaking of who Jesus was. What's the more miraculous thing? Was the miraculous thing that this guy could get up and walk? 
Is it more miraculous that you had a guy who was once in a coma and, and then came through it? Is it a guy that there was in an accident and you thought he wasn't going to live and he pulled out of it and now you see him and he's healthy? Is that more impressive? Or is it more impressive that there was someone who was totally dead and, and breathless and then they came back to life? See, when you know that it's a divine act of God is when you have to take all human elements out of it. I think about my dad, if you're a first-time guest, back in September of last year, my dad had a horrific accident on the sideline of a football game. Left him basically in a coma for a couple of weeks. We didn't know if he's ever going to come out of it, and if he did, doctors said it may be in a vegetative state. Today, there was many of you that he welcomed at the front door, and it was by a sheer act of grace. He's lost his vision in his eyes. He's lost his hearing, and by God's grace, he now can hear, and uh, when you talk to him, he doesn't just shake his head. And um, but the thing is, I would say that was one of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my life. Even one of the men on Friday morning said, I believe that's one of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my life. And I said, really? I said, well, is it more, mir- is it more of a miracle to see that than a guy who is totally dead and came back to life? Because if you were to ask doctors, was that a divine miracle? They may say, well, it was great, it was great help from doctors and, and medicine. But the one thing you and I have never seen is what? A man that was dead? And now came back to life. Understand? So what's the greatest need for people? Well, in this story, it was not the man's need to walk. It was the man's need to be forgiven. And that's what you and I have to know. That, hey, we can accomplish more together. We need to do everything we can for people to see Jesus. But why do they need to see Jesus? It's not for supernatural physical healing. They need their sins forgiven. You understand? And I'll tell you what our churches, churches, I'm speaking of America in general, have become so much about, and that is loving people. And we should, right? Love God, love others. But what we do is we love others so well, we get them all the way up to the door, and then we go, okay, somebody's going to have to take it from here. And so what do we do? We, we provide benevolence, we meet people's needs, we give to the poor, and we feel really good about that. And we go, hey, we're a church that does a lot of things. But where people disagree with us and our leadership team a lot of times is this. We will only partner with strategic agencies. We call them strategic partners here that not only meet a need, but ultimately get them to Jesus. Because there are organizations all over the world that feed the poor. There's organizations all over the the world that help the needy, that help the oppressed. But not all of those organizations say I want to meet this physical need so that you, what, see Jesus for your spiritual need. Understand? And what we need to make sure here at Stone Point is this, is that we know that while we are going to serve people next weekend at Stone Point Serves, we're going to take all of our services, we're going to send them out to serve people. If you weed eat their yard, their greatest need is not a fresh cut lawn. Their greatest need is not the trees that you're trimming, and you'll lose yourself in that. Wow, look at this. This place was a mess. Well, I can promise you that if there are weeds in their yard, there are weeds in their life. Don't dig too much into that analogy. (laughs) But the point is, the greatest need that people have is what? Spiritual and not physical. And so if you look at the be generous concept and us sending you out to meet some physical needs a few weeks ago and you go, wow, that felt so good. I tipped this waiter, man, and I gave her the $30 I got in my envelope and she was blown away by it and I got to invite her to church. Listen to me. What she does not need is simply a good feeling and an invitation to church. What she needs is you to bring her to Jesus. And it's totally different than giving her an invite card and saying, hey, I hope you join me. 
and saying, hey, I'll pick you up next Sunday morning and then I'll take you to dinner afterwards. There's a total different idea and our culture has developed a mindset that yes, I want to meet this tangible need and then yes, I would love to give them an invite, but I, God, I hope that it's not me that you're going to use to reach this person. And I say, why not? Because what happens is this guy picks up his mat and goes home and I want you to see the response. Immediately he got up before them and he picked up what had been lying on the ground, right? And he went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God and they were filled with fear saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Do you see it? These men, relentless effort, all working together, they get him to Jesus. Jesus doesn't just meet his physical need, but he meets his spiritual need. Why? Because of their effort to break the rules, go through a house, get through manure, get him, drop him down to Jesus. They let him fly. He hops down. He's in front of Jesus. Jesus heals him. It's a divine act of God. Then guess what? He goes, hey, what's more incredible? Your sins are forgiven? Or I say, get up and walk. And in the Pharisee's mind, they go, oh, it's get up and walk. So he gets up and walks, and then look what it says. And it says, and immediately, as he gets up before them, and he picks up his mat, and he goes home, he's glorifying God, they're all struck with astonishment. And this is where I want to bring it home. And they began glorifying God. And I don't want you to be confused here. Because you and I can sit in seats and be astonished at an act of God. It may even cause us to say, wow, that's pretty incredible. But as remarkable it is to meet a physical need, as remarkable it is, is to, to go through a worship set and go, wow, I just felt like the Spirit of God was in that place. The most remarkable thing is when you play a small part of somebody's transformation. Because I want you to think about it. Who was most amazed? Who had the sense of awe and wonder more? The Pharisees who were sitting there blocking the way for people to get to Jesus or the four men who exhausted themselves did everything it took for their friend to meet him. You tell me which one is most blown away. And then I'm going to kind of end it with this, a challenge which I prayed all week about. Last week we had baptisms. And this is what God showed me on Thursday. I'm trying to wrap this thing up. I'm like, okay, how do I wrap it up well? Well, I'll tell you when we're no longer impressed with a sense and awe and wonder at God. Don't get me wrong. We enjoyed the video, right? I mean, our video team and all of them, they're awesome at what they do. It's great. We enjoyed that. We're like, oh, man, that's awesome. And then even some of us, we go, wow, I wish I would have been there for that. But I'll tell you, when it's not as impressive anymore is when you don't show up to baptism celebration. When you see that as a Sunday that, hey, I, I, man, I'm going to schedule vacation on that. It's not as important. And I'm not, I don't have somebody in mind. I'm, not, I'm simply saying this, and here's why. God showed me, Brandon, the reason that you love baptism celebration is because in every baptism celebration we've had over the last five years, every one of them, 15 or 16 of them all, I've always had at least one person that I'd shared my faith with. And they had followed Christ, trusted him, and I wanted to make sure I was there to baptize them and give them a book towards discipleship. And I started thinking about for all our people. If you were one of the four men and you got this man to Jesus, you saw him put his faith in Jesus, and then you knew that in a few weeks he was going to go down to the Jordan River and he was going to display his faith in baptism, you think those four men were there? 
Yes. Why? Because when you play a part of the transformation, you're not going to miss it. But I'll tell you, when you don't play a part of the transformation, it's easy to go on vacation. Why? Because you've forgotten a sense of awe and wonder of God. Now think about that. Because what's happened is there used to be a sense of awe and wonder. Wow, that is the most incredible day of the year. And for me, I get up and I believe it is the most incredible days of our year. Why? For two reasons. One, I don't have to prepare a message that week. I get to meet with people. I get to love on people. I get to do what I'm most passionate about. I get to see transformation. I get to share transformation. I get to be a part of it. And I get to say, this is why our church exists. And it reminds me of the beauty of God and his excellencies. It reminds me of his incredible grace and the wonder and the awe that we should have in him taking not a man and making him what? Healed as a paralytic, but taking a man who was dead and now he's given him new life in Christ. And the day we forget about that here is the day that our church implodes. And it's the day that people in the seats who simply want to gain knowledge begin to give direction to our church. I'm okay with emails from church people. Why? Because I know who we're here to reach. What I'm not okay with is church people sitting in seats and blocking it so other people who need Jesus desperately can't get to him. Right? Can you tell I'm passionate about this? I don't know that you're going to have the same passion I do. But here's three things I need you to know before you leave. Number one, is at Stone Point, we have to have permission to go after unreached people. People who say my life is unmanageable and I need someone to help me break the sinful pattern in my life. We have to have permission to do that. If it costs us every dime, every resource we have, we have to go after people who need Jesus. We pray that you'll get on board with that. The second thing is, is that we have to make room for people to see Jesus. It doesn't make sense that you go, hey, we're going to do everything we can to help people see Jesus. And then people come into this service and they're like, well, I don't really have a place here for me. And what we've seen is, and even heard not too long ago in a parking lot, that someone came into Stone Point and they go, wow, it was good, but I'm not going to come back. And his wife was like, what? Why not? Like, it's too, pa- it's too packed for me, too crowded. I was uncomfortable. And so it's just generated some conversation among our leadership team of what? We have a real challenge right now that we have to address. That if we've got too many seats being taken and we're not allowing people to come and see Jesus fully, then we've got to address the issue. And so I just need to put a challenge out there to you. If we're going to be passionate about reaching people for Jesus, and we've also got to be passionate about making room for them. And so here's the challenge. We need to raise, here you go, $100,000, and we need to do it in one Sunday. And you're like, is he serious? Yes, I'm very serious. And, and it's the Stone Point way. And so we're not going to do a large giving campaign over the course of the next year. And here's why. Because we still have an Edgewood location that's being drawn as we speak. And that's another thing that we're going to have to address, which is going to cost us about six hundred or 700000 And guess what? We're going to raise half of it over a few-month period. Why? Because I believe God's already told me that. And so here's how we're going to do it. You ready for it? It's going to cost you not three payments, But one, get this, if every family in our church will pay $250, 
we will raise $75,000 in one Sunday. $250, not, okay, $250, one-time donation. Yes, and we know there are some of you in here that $250 is nothing for you, so you could give $2,500. But what we're saying is, <laughs> what? And we need you to give, but you need to know that it takes all of us to do our part. We, we will be better together. Do you understand the point? If all of us will grab a corner of the cot and say, let's get people to Jesus and we'll all do our part, it doesn't have to be this large part. We're not asking one person to make a $50,000 donation to everybody else, hey, 10 bucks if you have it. No, if all of us will do a small part, which is $250, which is everyone in this room can save your Sonic drink money and your Starbucks money over the next month and you got it. It does require sacrifice, but is it worth it for people to see Jesus? We believe so. Why? Because here on this campus, right here, not addressing Edgewood, which you know will be coming, you have to come through the gauntlet to get in here. The gauntlet, okay? That little small space we call a foyer, which has doubled at one point as kids' rooms. From there to a little resource area, which we can't provide many resources because it's too big and it takes too many people to get in and out of. We got little bitty bathrooms in there. And guess what? That takes up all our space. And so then we go, well, okay, here, here's the problem. And here is our problem. The reason that that's not going to work any longer is not because we need bigger, fancier buildings because we know that Jesus doesn't, what? He doesn't dwell in buildings. He, he dwells in the human heart, right? He's always been about the business of dwelling in skin. He did it in the tabernacle. He did it in the Holy of Holies. He did it in Jesus as he came in God in the flesh. And now he does it, as Paul says, not in a temple built by human hands, but what? Through his people. He dwells in us, skin, skin. And so we know that the reason we add on to this building to make room for people to Jesus is not because we need bigger, fancier buildings. But what is it? So that we have space to do all that we need to do. In Regen, in student ministry, and kids ministry, right now, all of those areas do not have the room sufficient to carry out the ministry that they have with full functionality. In Regen, we have multiple groups meeting here in our worship center after they do their main breakout. Every room back there is taken by either a group or helping with child care. It's the same on student ministry. Right now, our fifth graders meet in the large group space because they don't have a space of their own. And so there's a tent set up with little portable walls. And they go, we don't have our own space. And they don't ask that. Why? Because they don't know any difference. Always been the Stone Point way. But the bottom line is we got to be about the business of helping people see Jesus. And we need to know that the emphasis is not on buildings but on people. And so you go, well, what's the plan, okay? I'm on, I'm on board, because I know you're on board. Uh, so what's the, what is it? And if you're not on board, that's okay, because I know the Stone Point way is people who say, I believe in this. And so we want to go off the north end right here, and we want to add a resource area, which we told you briefly about in Fit to Fight series, that every, every family in here, whether you're dealing with marriage challenges, parenting problems, um, drug addiction, whatever, that every resource you need for your family is going to be a place where you can easily and tangibly go get it and have the help of our pastors week in and week out in a place where you're not congested, but a place in which you can sit and gather your thoughts and have time. The second reason that we want to do it is not simply for the resources, but it provides us a better entrance. And so we want to add on to the, uh, the east end a, a foyer that's about five times as large as the one we have now. And the reason why is this, what we don't want to continue to do here is usher people in like a herd of cows or sheep, that's better biblical, right? And then herd them out. And that's what we feel like we've had to do over the last several years is it doesn't promote the fellowship 
And so we learned a valuable lesson just last week here on our campus, that every baptism we do from now on will be here. Why? Because it just promoted a sense of awe and wonder and fellowship. And we saw what God did here, and we go, this is what community looks like. And so it's just caused us to say, okay, well, in addition to that, let's add a porch that goes all the way around this north end addition so that it's got tables outside where you can sit and gather. That this this room here is so nice, not nice in terms of luxurious, but nice and size sizable that your journey group could meet here. That it welcomes you to come during the week and you're like, I'm studying for exam. Why not come gather at the church? And uh, at as the church in this building, use it as a resource for you and your family. And so we just have thought that's what we want to do is promote community, and we want to make sure that people don't feel like there's not enough room. And so get this, if you add those places, no longer do you have to have your coffee and your resources and all those things limited to that little space. It adds more seats here too. So it kind of frees up room. It's a no-brainer. We have a master plan already drawn, which comes off the south end. We're not there yet, but it's already drawn. We know exactly what it looks like long-term. There's a 10-year plan, and it'll, we'll unveil it. But we know this is a priority we've got to address. So on June 19th, we're asking that you would come ready. We'll prepare you for it. Make sure you know that's Father's Day weekend. So dads, you need to come because we're going to give you something incredible anyway. But more than that, it gives us a chance to be the body. Understand? And then here's the last deal, and I'm closing with this. Even if you're not as passionate about this as I am, you do need to know that I can't do it without you. Like, I need you. And if there's ever a time where I want you to hear as the church that I love you and we love you and we value you, you need to know we value you. And I know that there are times that I get up here and I challenge you rather hard. Sometimes you're like, did he just say that? Yeah. And you need to remember why, because I want you to know the gospel and I want it to be made known in your life. I want you to never get comfortable. And I'm okay if there are times where you walk out and we don't agree totally. I'm okay with that. I'm okay if there are Sundays that you get in your vehicle and you're mad at me. I'm okay with that too. Why? Because every now and then the shepherd needs to take out his old uh, little crutch and hit you over the head with it, okay? <laughs> But you need to know this. I would never do anything to intentionally hurt you. I love you deeply. God has given me a passion for you and this word and to shepherd you well. And I believe wholeheartedly that God's going to hold me accountable to that. And I want to do it well. But at the same time, I never want you to get so comfortable that we leave people from the ability of seeing Jesus fully and totally. And so I'm asking you to join me in this work and that you would say, hey, let's go all in. We think the last five years has been great. What's it look like if we continue? And, and then here's the other thing. We're going to have another baptism in August. We're going to do it at Splash Kingdom. It's already booked. It's going to be a family night like we've done the last couple of years. It's going to be awesome. We'll get you that on your calendar so that you don't miss it, so you don't schedule the top of it because sometimes that's our fault. But don't show up to that baptism without having someone that you've shared the gospel with as a participant. Why? Because that's what it looks like, sharing your faith, making Jesus known, and not simply becoming comfortable in our own seat. Amen? It's a big challenge. I think you guys are up for it. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this morning. I pray, God, that you would take this and that you would make it alive in our lives and in our heart. I pray, God, we would know that we cannot function totally as believers by simply coming and gaining knowledge, but that to have true divine uh, relationship with you, 
it takes all of us working together. And the goal of us as a church is to connect people to you. And But once they meet you, they need to walk alongside with other people. They need to use their gifts in serving the body. They need to go outside these walls and share what you've done in their lives. And so, God, we pray that regardless if it's here or at Regen, the whole purpose of us seeing that the old is gone and the new has come is in the following verse in 2 Corinthians 5, and it's verse 18. And that is so that we can be reconciliation to other people, that we can bring them to you. And so, God, may that be our focus. May that be our goal. May that be the reason we gather not simply for ourselves, but to make sure other people see you and us. In Jesus' name, amen.